Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket. I'm your host, Peter Dalpena, and on today's episode, we have former USA Under-19 representative and now current Jamaica Talawas squad member, Ryan Prasad. Ryan is born and raised in Queens, New York, and then around high school, his family moved to New Jersey, suburban northern New Jersey, in the leafy part of the Garden State. And Ryan continued to develop his cricket skills through his dad's academy based in Morristown. That is a very well-known facility where a lot of junior players who came up and played for USA, including Ryan, got to develop their skills. And in between that and playing for the Tallawas, Ryan Prasad dabbled in Hollywood. He's got a very, very unique story arc and an even more unique debut film that we talk about during the podcast so there's plenty of entertaining anecdotes and stories that ryan shares whether it's in cricket or on the silver screen but before we get to all of that i want to remind everybody that the stars and stripes cricket podcast is also sponsored by moosa cricket stadium the first and original turf wicket facility in the state of texas for more information call 713-534-2195 that's moosa cricket stadium in pearland Texas. Today's guest on the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket is former USA under-19 leg spinner or leg spinning all-rounder, depending on how he wants to classify himself, and current squad member for the Jamaica Tallahas in the next season of the upcoming Caribbean Premier League, Ryan Prasad. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you. Nice to see you again, Peter. Do I call you the pride of New Jersey or the pride of New York? This is a touchy subject for some people in in, in this part of the country. Where where do you have the most pride for your your roots? Oof. Well, born and raised in New York, in Queens. Moved out here when I was about ten or eleven. So I like I like to claim both. Actually, if I showed you outside my window, I live right on the Hudson River. It's like a stone's throw away from New York. So, uh, man, if I had to choose one, I'm going to say New York, just because I have to. But, uh, yeah, I'd like to claim both. You're right on that Route 3, Route 17, Route 4, Route 80 corridor there on the way to the George Washington Bridge. Exactly. So, yeah, you, you've got the best of both worlds. You can you can experience New York without having to pay New York City prices for a living. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And this this is a high rise too. Honestly, the view is better from here, I think, because when you're over in New York, you get the view of Jersey, and no one wants the view of Jersey. From That's here, not a view. It, you can't call it a view. Let's let's be honest. <laughs> there is no view. If you're calling it a view, you're you're lying. Exactly. Here, I can see the entire skyline. So I'm I'm right in between uh, the George Washington Bridge and the Lincoln Tunnel. So I get I get the view of everything. Like from my window, you can see the GW from here. So it's it's not bad. Going into how you got into cricket in the first place, for those yeah. who don't know, your dad is quite well known in New Jersey for opening up an indoor facility in Morristown, Indoor Cricket USA, that I've been in many times and gotten a chance to be bowled by you. <laughs> bowled by a lot of other people too. But uh, it's been a home to developing a lot of cricketers including yourself, growing up in a family environment where, where cricket was ever-present, what was it like being raised in America, American-born, American-raised, but with a family that is as into cricket as yours is? 
My dad is my biggest coach. He's he's first and foremost, always my coach since the day I was born. And big cricketing family as well. Uh, my uncle plays cricket, but a few of my uncles play cricket. Uh, they all taught me the game, my dad and them. Uh, and actually, if you ask in my family, they'd say I'm the fifth best cricketer in my family because you got my dad, you got my mom, and my two sisters ahead of me. They're both amazing. Honestly, my sisters could be walk-ons to the U.S. squad if they wanted to. They got tremendous talent, but and I was always the one that just kind of stuck with it. But growing up here uh, in Queens, it was just, since my whole family played, it seemed like the norm to me to grow up playing. It wasn't until I moved to New Jersey, because uh, it, was, it was very diverse there, very multicultural society. Uh, when I came here, everyone was just playing football and baseball. Uh, half of them didn't even know what cricket was at the time. And they were like, what? You play, you play cricket? And I was like, come on, come on, you guys don't know this game? It, so it seemed normal to me growing up until the age of about 10 or 11 and then moving here and then other people not knowing what it was. Definitely a big culture shock. And that's when I, I you know, I kind of saw the difference between things. And I got into baseball a bit then. Baseball just seemed kind of easy to me. I was like, every ball is a full toss. OK, like this is <laughs> this is easy. And then, yeah, did, played a bit of football and stuff myself. Wide receiver in high school. But, you know, cricket was always always my first love. I always came back to it. And uh, it helped with the reinforcement, too, with my dad. He's always playing. You know, growing up, my weekends always consisted of going to see my dad play during the week, training with him, going to practice. You know, so it, it was great to grow up around the sport in that way. Now, for context, you grew up in Queens. What part of Queens did you grow up? Richmond Hill. Very, very heavily West Indian centric community there in richmond hill yeah also for context in new jersey now from my memory you moved to jefferson was it or somewhere else that's right jefferson new jersey now jefferson for people who don't know i I grew up in kinnelon and i think you're probably one of the few people i know who would actually know where kinnelon is because kinnelon is in the sticks let's go to the movie kinnelon cinemas definitely Kinnall Cinemas 8 or the uh, the Meadtown Cinema. That was the other one. Meadtown yep. Cinema. Meadtown Cinema. Wow. Now, you're probably the only person in the U.S. cricket community who, who would have any clue where those two places are because Kinnall is in the sticks and Jefferson is in the sticks. But when people think of New Jersey, they think of like the Sopranos and the Turnpike and the Parkway and like all these oil refineries. Like yep. we, live, Shore, we live like, in Jersey Shore, all that. We, we lived in probably the greenest, leafiest, most hidden away in the sticks area of New Jersey that nobody knows about. Yes. West, West Bumble Frick, I call it. West, just way deep out there. No, nobody hears about it. Right in the forest. Nobody has heard about Jefferson. Nobody's heard about Kinnon. And nobody there has heard about cricket. <laughs> exactly. And you know what? I went from New York living in a whole city area down the street from like a police station to go into Jefferson and I'm down the street from a barn, literally walking distance with like horses and everything. I was like, what the heck is this? So yeah, it's different. Definitely different. Different to say the least. It was, yeah, the culture shock, like no other. You touched on this a little bit. Was primarily just your family and your dad, Walter, uh, Walter is again, a very well-known coach in New Jersey. He's done a lot of junior cricket coaching, helped 
a lot of players on the pathway to get to the USA Under-19 team, including yourself. Primarily him, or or is it your whole family dynamic in general that kept you really engaged in cricket in spite of the changing scenery around you? It was primarily him. I mean, the, the whole family had an influence big time, but my dad has been the greatest influence. When he opened Indoor Cricket USA uh, in 2000, so it was actually in Queens he opened the first one. Uh, and that was the first indoor cricket facility uh, in North America. It's the first one ever done. And I remember even when I was little, he was going to Lords to check out their indoor facility, getting the same AstroTurfs that they used to bring into here. And that was actually destroyed by fire, unfortunately, a few years later, uh, which is later on when we moved then to New Jersey, he opened the other one that you've been to in Morristown. So, yeah, I would say definitely him. But again, my both of my uncles, they all played on the same team growing up. Kwal Prasad, Kayam Farouk. These are guys that I really have my cricketing career. It, it's, it's due to those three men, you know, mostly. Just being around them my whole life and them teaching me the game. You know, one, my dad, he's an amazing off-spinner, as a, a lot of people know. But my Uncle K-Wall, my Uncle Kaim, big batsman. I mean, the amount of centuries I watched these guys play. It, it definitely had a dynamic role in my life and making the player that I am today. And I would consider myself a leg-spinning all-rounder. Uh, she put that out there. <laughs> Another point you, you touched on. The other sports that were on your radar growing up, going to high school in New Jersey at this point. What are the other things I guess you, you took from those other sports that you felt positively impacted you and helped you develop your all-around athleticism and contributed positively to your development as a cricketer later on down the road when you were trying to force your way into the USA Under-19 team? Uh, well, in regards to baseball, honestly, I feel like cricket more complemented baseball in that aspect. Cricket made baseball easy for me. You know, I, I really looked at every ball as a full toss. I remember in like the, the Little League World Series thing we had here, I went four for four just because, you know, I, that I looked at was more easy. Things that I think prepped me more for cricket, um, like in high school, uh, I did cross country and there we're doing maybe 60, 70 miles a week. So that really helped with like conditioning for cricket and you know, I'm playing like 40, 50 over games and doing that and just not not tiring as easy as others. So I think that definitely helped shape me more into a cricketer. The other sports, more for fun, I would say. Baseball, football, it was more like a lot of my friends at the time were playing it, you know, and I wasn't really getting them into into cricket as much to come try that. So I'd more go go to the park, play with them in that. And, uh, I mean, of course, there's, there's different things that you can get from each sport, hand-eye coordination, catching the ball. That's why, you know, when I played football, I was always receiver. I don't know if we were playing a pickup game or for school, you know, because catching, catching was easy. I remember we played gym class. It was like the biggest joke one year that uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't get the glove. My hands are like pretty big, you know, and they gave us like really tiny gloves for gym class. And I was playing center field once and they hit the ball to me and I couldn't get the freaking thing on my hand. So I threw it off. And I caught the ball barehanded. <laughs> and everybody, I was known as a cricket guy, ran on. They were like, this guy dropped the glove. He's catching with his bare hands out there. So from then on, I was the cricket guy. I, I kind of I liked it. Cricket was 
just my getaway. Yeah, it's def- definitely my getaway and release from everything. Because uh, another thing, when I moved from New York and I came here, I, I was in an Aster program. It's called in New York, where like, you know, second grade, you're doing like fifth grade work and such. So when I came to Jersey, I ended up just skipping a grade. And I, at the time, I was already young in New York because I just made the cutoff. So now I come to a school where many people don't look like me. And I'm also two years younger than everyone, you know? So I was definitely the brunt of some bullying for a bit. And it was crazy because he was like, at school, I'm this guy. But outside, I play cricket. And I'm like, I'm the superstar. You know, everyone's like it. You know, I was, I was king at cricket. So uh, it was definitely my release from a lot of things. Can I say in in Kinnelon or in or in uh, Jefferson, there's a 99% chance you're you're probably the only non-white person in your school. <laughs> yeah, you can count them on one hand how many <laughs> non-white people there were. So that was, kids are cruel growing up. You know, they see someone that looks different than you. They you know they really lay into you. So that was that was something that I faced in Jefferson there. Sure. You also touched on. G and T, not gin and tonic, gifted and talented. You were you were quite advanced <laughs> academically too. Gifted and talented, yeah. I was I was a 15 years old as a senior in high school. You know, went into college 16. That was that was something <laughs> of itself. I I learned though as soon as I went to college, I didn't. I was already like a bigger kid, and I learned from high school. I was like, I'm not telling anyone my age. And anyone asked, I was like, No, I'm 18. I'm 18. It was like, oh, yeah, are you driving yet? Dude, for the first two and a half weeks of school, shit, you know, my mom had to drop me to school. I used to tell her, like, just go down the block. This is college. I was like, just drop me down the block. Like, I'm just going to walk the next block. I was 16 going into I'm not going to have my mom drop me to school. <laughs> At college, it got a lot better. You know, no one really cares how old you are. It was, it was way different, but it was such a trip. In terms of competing for the USA Under-19 team around this time as well, you're you're going through a lot of different experiences that are atypical. And playing for your USA national team is certainly atypical for a lot of kids growing up, whether it's cricket or basketball or baseball, any sport for that matter. What was the journey like for you trying to qualify and compete for a spot on the national team? I think in general, I'm, I'm a very competitive person. Almost uh, anything I do, you know, it's actually a thing my dad always say, ne- never settle for mediocrity. You know, if you do something, you do it right the first time or don't do it at all. So kind of anything I did, if I was playing cricket, you know, I was going to the highest level that I can. If that's USA, I'm doing that. If I was schoolwork, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability to the point where, you know, I can skip grades doing it. When I got interested, like in film, you know, if I'm doing that. I'm going to try to make a Hollywood film. You know, I'm going to I'm going to try to go to the top lengths possible. It's kind of just natural in the way I was uh, I was built. I was raised. You competed for USA Under-19 in 2013 at the World Cup qualifier in King City. You played in four matches against Bermuda and Canada. I think at that point in time, they had shifted the format so that it was just the three teams because... Argentina and Cayman Islands and Bahamas were not really competitive. So it went from being a single round robin to a double round robin. You got a chance to play with a number of guys people would 
recognized, remember, including Stephen Taylor, who was your captain at that point in time. Yep. And Randall Wilson, who's still kind of on the radar of being on the fringe of the USA national team. Shaquille Ahmad, one of the Ahmad brothers, Salman and Shaquille, both played for USA under 19. The Butch brothers, Arsh and Mohawk, you played with Arsh in that team. So there's there's quite a number of names there that that would stick out to people. And you were in there as a leading bowler, as a leg spinner in that team. And you also played against, in terms of the opposition you played against, Delray Rollins took yeah. five wickets against the USA. He was a very competitive bowler for Bermuda on the opposite side of the field. And then Natish Kumar, Nikhil Dutta, Abraj Khan in the Canada side. So you, you were on some fairly big names in the context of associate cricket anyway. What do you remember most about that whole experience? Remember taking some of their wickets, for sure. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, good friends, honestly, for a lifetime. I still keep in touch. Like me and Steve, we, we talk at least once a week. Um, I ended up going on a tour with a brush. We went, I went with like the Canada, a few of the Canadian guys there. That We took a tour to uh, Sri Lanka. With Arch Butch, uh, we ended up going on a uh, tour to India together. De- definitely a lot of friendship. You know, it was it's great being amongst those guys. Everyone just as competitive, you know, as I am. A lot of friendships were built from young there, especially being in a community like right now. I love the way cricket is being like, you know, it's getting bigger and bigger in, in the United States. But at the time, we felt like somewhat like a little fraternity. You know, we, we were all just as crazy passionate about something that I'd say the general public, is, uh, you know, wasn't as aware of. So that brought us all very closer together. But no, I, def- I definitely do remember taking a few wickets out there. I think uh, one of the most memorable is Nitesh when I took his wicket. Steve took a dive and catch. Uh, it slips, you know, and that's what we thought, like we were pulling the game back. That was like a big wicket. I remember that one we took. The other parts of that experience I want to ask you about, Robin Singh, who was the head coach of the U.S. Under-19 team, a bit of a lightning rod figure in U.S. cricket. There's nobody really on the fence about him. People either love him or they hate him in terms yeah. of what he contributes to U.S. cricket. And I know you lean more towards the, the love side, but one of the things I remember, and you, you may have to confirm this if this is true or not, I heard through the grapevine, you were somebody who liked to bowl in sunglasses, and Robin... Did not want to let you bowl in sunglasses. He absolutely refused to let you take the field and bowl and match with your sunglasses on. You're laughing. So it sounds like it must be true. Oh, yeah. Not only bowl, he wouldn't let you take the field. He would not let you take the field in sunglasses. He could not. You're looking into the sun. The eyes must get used to look into the fucking sun. (laughs) Every time. You know, he would not let you film a field with sunglasses. But so, uh, well, that means I'm guessing he's he's not going to be welcomed to be coaching any team associated with Chris Gale anytime in the <laughs> near future. Then definitely not in the near future. But uh, no, Rob Robin is a great guy. I actually went down to India with him for four months. He put together an amazing training camp that I did with him there. But Gerald Alvin, I got to say up to this day, when I go to bowl, the hat comes off, sunglasses come off too. I still feel occasionally my sunglasses on. He doesn't like that, but every time I bowl now, I take I take off my sunglasses. He definitely instilled that into us. So his influence over your career is still ever present. Oh yeah, and uh, fielding wise, I got 
I've never heard so had someone hit the ball harder to my hands. I think before one of the games, he like fractured one of my hands. I got it like checked out when I came back. But he was. You're not alone. I don't think you're the only one he did that to. There were quite a number of players who over the, over the year or two he was involved in the coaching scene in the U.S. would um, share with me that they were not thrilled at his coaching mechanisms in terms of fielding practice because by the time the fielding sessions were done pre-match the players were not healthy enough to field during the match (laughs) Robin is an intense coach I love him for it Uh, but yeah his his fielding fielding coaching is intense to say the least he uh you know he he hits the ball very hard because he just like what a match situation would be if you're fielding it covers and a guy just drives the ball or just tries to cut and just gets a hold of it and hits it right to covers to you and you're fielding real close, that's what every ball he hits to you is going to feel like. And if you take three catches with the cricket bat, you catch him well, he'll switch to the tennis racket and hit it just as hard. He's, he's, he's he hard. I, when I saw him with the tennis racket, he, he'd swing twice as hard. He, you know, he's using with tennis balls on the tennis racket, but they still hurt. And they're springy, so if you don't, if your technique is poor, you can hurt yourself more with the tennis balls trying to catch those because they'll pop out of your hand, they'll they'll bend your fingers back. And I actually saw more guys in fielding sessions with him get injured when he was wailing tennis balls off the tennis racket as hard as he possibly could. Then I saw guys get injured with cricket balls, which was kind of fascinating to observe. He's hey, it's one of the reasons that he's like you know known as one of the best fielders you know to ever play the game. He's it's something special, but yeah, his, his training is intense. Now to this day, my hands, they're hard as rocks from from some of this stuff, you know? And when the ball gets hit to me, I don't feel it as much as most guys would, and it's due to his training. So I got to, I gotta, you know, pay him homage there, give him some props. Now, one thing about that experience that obviously I know you and other players probably regret is the fact that you didn't qualify for the World Cup. And, and this has been an issue over the years, Going back to 2010 was the last time USA Under-19 qualified, and every team since then, despite the talent at USA's disposal, has just not been able to qualify. And there are a lot of reasons behind that that always get discussed. And I just want to get from your perspective, from memory, I know sometimes people talk about just the lack of practice on turf wickets. And I know that despite the tours and overseas experiences you would have had all through the West Indies and England and India and wherever else, there's a big adjustment in a short space of time, if you're playing most of your summer on artificial wickets in New Jersey or New York, there's a transition there. There's there's that factor. There's teams that get assembled not having enough time to build chemistry and cohesiveness, knowing what their role is supposed to be and adjusting to that role and and just getting match experience together. There's a lot of different reasons that get put out about why USA under-19 teams have struggled over the years, and sometimes it's coaching. I don't think you're going to say coaching, but that has also been used as an excuse with regards to some people think the wrong coach has been chosen or the, the leadership has been poor from a coaching and management standpoint. If you had to pick one reason, what do you think is the thing that held back your team in particular from reaching the levels that they aspired to in terms of trying to get to that World Cup? It's a culmination. Of a few. Um, one of them being, if you remember that tournament, there were a few games that got rained out too. So I'm always going to throw that in there that, uh, you know, I wish we did get to play those out and didn't have the points just split and have it go to, 
you know, deciding winner like that. But also organizational wise, the team didn't have a lot of time to practice together. At the same time, I, I wish they actually brought in the coach earlier. You can't really even blame a coach for not knowing uh, players well when they hire a coach for the tournament itself. And, you know, before uh, the, the day before we play our first match is when we're meeting our coach. It's hard for him to get to know all the strengths of all the guys and what they can do. I, I really wouldn't even put that onto the coach. I would just put it how uh, USA cricket was kind of organized back then, how those things went. I mean, we had a, a coach that came with us to the U.S. It was like the under-18 combine. He worked with us the whole time there. He knew the guys. You know, we, we played a little tri-series there against Bermuda and Canada. And then uh, they decided to then bring in Robin a day before we started playing the first game up in Canada. So I can't I can't blame Robin at all because, shit, if you bring me in as a coach to coach a bunch of kids, I don't know. What am I going to do? You know, it's not much. So I really wish that they brought uh, him in sooner. I wish that they had um, arranged some practice sessions for us. You know, we have Fort Lauderdale, of course. There's a turf wicket. We did play the combines there. But I wish they brought the coach there and had the selected teams, not just like the the combines of who's going to get selected. The 14 that were selected. I wish they brought us there with Robin and had us do a coaching session there. You know, just a little camp so he got to know the guys and what everyone could do. I think it would have been better for us in that tournament had that happened. This has been one of my constant criticisms over the years during the USACA administration was that they would hire what I used to call them parachute coaches. Yeah. And Robin was a parachute coach, right? Now, now you think coming in the day before the tournament is bad. There was actually one instance with the men's team where they were at a World Cricket League event in Malaysia, where he flew in the morning of the first match and got to the ground, I think, at 9 a.m. for a 10.30 start. And so the whole team had been there for four or five days earlier. Him as the head coach flies in literally 90 minutes before the first match, he gets to the ground, and he chose the 11 for that first match of the tournament based on how he observed them in the 90 minutes or 60 minutes of training before the toss, which is insane. How can you expect positive results when you have a parachute coach coming in, just flying in right at the start of the tournament and then getting on the first plane out as soon as the tournament ends. And I don't think, like you said, I don't fault Robin for that. I fault the administration for that. It doesn't matter if if you're Robin Singh, John Buchanan, if you want to take another coach from another sport, if you're Phil Jackson, Vince Lombardi, if you, if you bring Vince Lombardi in and, and drop him into green Bay the night before week one uh, in September, Vince Lombardi's not going to be able to just turn the Packers into Super Bowl champions like that. You you get to know these players over the course of months and in some cases years. If Robin was going to succeed or if any other coach was going to succeed, you need to have them on a full-time year-round basis working with the players. And I understand there was logistical issues and financial issues that may have prevented that. If you can't afford to pay Robin Singh year-round, then go pay for somebody else. Who, who can work with the players year-round? And if Robin has commitments with the IPL or the CPL or other teams, and he can't commit to USA for 12 months a year, that that's fine. If Robin wants to 
go coach in the franchise T20 system and be successful there. And he has been incredibly successful. He's won numerous titles. Robin Singh's record as a franchise T20 coach is phenomenal. And there are plenty of reasons for that. It made him successful. But coaching in the T20 franchise circuit is a lot different than coaching in an associate setup, which I don't think a lot of people appreciated. And we saw that again with Kieran Morey. When Kieran Morey came, whoever made that decision in the administration was under the impression, oh, well, you know, we'll push Pubidu Desanayake out the door, who has spent three years building up the squad to get them to ODI status, and we'll just fly in Kieran Morey because he's Kieran Morey. Oh, he's Kieran Morey. He's got IPL experience. He's connected with Mumbai Indians, and hey, this is this is great. And what happened? He has no relationship with players. He doesn't know his strengths and weaknesses. You don't get to learn that stuff overnight. And USA goes to Bermuda in the T20 World Cup regional qualifier, not the global qualifier, the regional qualifier, and they bomb out. They lose to Bermuda twice in that tournament, as well as Canada. And, and again, it was just illustrated another example of something that under-19 players have learned the hard way. Other USA squad players have learned the hard way. You cannot just take a, a name brand coach and parachute them in and expect instant results. And hopefully... Yeah. The mistakes of the past that you unfortunately had to go through and other players have had to go through are hard lessons, but hopefully the current under-19 squad that's preparing for their under-19 World Cup qualifier, I think there's a lot more optimism, A, because of the preparation lead-in that they've had, but B, I think just as importantly, Kevin Darlington has been their coach for an extended period of time now. He's not somebody who's just going to parachute in the night before the first match and He's supposed to assemble a starting 11 without even knowing anybody's names. Yeah, (laughs) He he knows where everybody is. Again, it's unfortunate that you guys had to go through that, but it happened. Yeah, it's in the past. What are you going to do? But it would have been nice uh, if if they thought about these kind of things that, you know, like like we did just now. But, you know, I can't make any changes now. It's unfortunate. But uh, I'm I'm happy that a lot of the guys – that were around in that time are are still playing, you know. Uh, I I don't know if all of them are from like that under 19 squad, but you know, just like you said, you got guys like Steve that are still out there playing, and Nikhil Dutta's out there, and you know, there's, there's a lot of names from that tournament that are still around. So that's a big positive I at least take from that. Today's edition of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket is also sponsored by Musa Cricket Stadium, the first and original turf wicket facility in the state of Texas, located at 5515 McKeever Road in Pearland, just five miles off the Bailey Road exit from State Route 288, a half hour south of downtown Houston. Musa Cricket Stadium includes fully enclosed locker rooms and change rooms, plus shower facilities after a day's play, as well as outdoor nets for all your training needs. Aside from the main turf stadium ground, there is now a second ground at the facility open for use. For more information, call 713-534-2195 Musa Cricket Stadium in Pearland, Texas. Now, that was in 2013. Fast forward a couple years to 2017. You took a little bit of a break from cricket to drive out to Hollywood and, and pursue ambitions in the film industry. What inspired this? And what about that experience do you remember as being the most fun and most enjoyable part of a world that's completely removed from probably everything you you did involving cricket it was a great experience uh being out there uh one of my best friends he was actually like profiled on entertainment tonight as uh the youngest producer in hollywood at the time when he was 18 years old 
you know, compared to like Steven Spielberg and all those. So he was 18. I was 19 at the time. We grew up actually in Queens together. He gave me a call and he was like, hey, this was like, you know, it was our biggest dream to make a movie together and be out in Hollywood. You should come out. You should check this film out uh, that I'm doing here. And I went out for this other film. It's a lifetime one going on. Uh, I met the director. He was going to be producing that one. And I was just going to do a small little cameo role in that. But after meeting the, the, the director, he was like, I think you'd be perfect for the lead in this other film that we got going on. I was like, the lead? I've never acted in a film together. And he's like, oh, you're a natural. Don't worry about it. Come out. Try it. So, yeah, I, I read a few lines for that one. I ended up co-producing that film. And then, yeah, that was that was the first film I did where you know, I ended up acting as the lead in it as well. And it, it's an amazing experience with just like a, a lot of names that, you know, I, I grew up watching on TV and it was just a great experience to actually work with these guys and, you know, be in a few scenes with them. Uh, so it was it was amazing being out there. I'll say that much. But um, uh, cricket ended up just always pulling me back, always pulling me back. So I after my like hiatus out there, I ended up coming back here and pushing forward more uh, with cricket. After school special. Now, for people who haven't investigated this movie, to give a little bit of insight, I took some time to go watch it myself. And before I watched it, came across a trailer. Just just as a little bit of a hint as to what people can expect. It's a comedy movie. I'll start off by saying it's a comedy movie. And it, and it is quite funny. I enjoyed it. I laughed more than a few times. I had a feeling I was going to be laughing during the movie because during the trailer itself... There are as many cricket bats as dildos in the trailer. <laughs> oh, God. Yes, sir. I, I had to add a cricket bat in there. I was like, there's no way I'm doing a film without throwing a cricket bat. And uh, the dildos, those well, guys. Well, if, hey, if a dildo is making the cut, then certainly a cricket bat is not off limits. You got it. You got it. <laughs> oh, man. It was a fun watch, just being part of the movie process itself, making it. And like you said, there's quite a number of names in there. As a Baywatch fan growing up, I immediately recognized David Chokichi and uh, Eric Roberts is in there. There are some other names that people might recognize, like Ron Jeremy. Now, you said you, you grew up watching a lot of these people on television growing up. I can't imagine you were watching Ron Jeremy growing up on television. But he is in the film. He is in the film, along with some other yeah, recognizable Nick names. Ward's Nick Swardson. Yeah, there's also Caden Cross. Another uh, adult film star in that one. Uh, yeah, you had, your, you had your handful of those. Just to make it a true comedy. A true uh, teen sex comedy, however you want to call it. Nick Swartzen, that was a um, amazing experience, actually, just being on set with him. You know, I always thought, I was like, you know, I could, I could do stand-up. I can get into that. I think I'm a funny guy. Everyone says I'm funny. When I met that man was when I realized what like true funny is. Like when when I just left him after like two, three hours, my abs were hurting. Like I was I was dying every second, whether we were rolling the camera or not. The guy is just naturally hilarious. And it was uh, it's such such a great time on set with him. Now, give, give us a little bit more insight. To me, it looked like a lot of the scenes were improv scenes, and it looked like the script was what could be considered just kind of loose in terms of you got 
you got just some basics to start off the scene. And it looked like a lot of it was improv. How much of it was improv and how much more fun was that experience? Um, the way the movie was, was I guess, scripted or structured in that sense. Uh, yeah, it's definitely a lot of improv. And yeah, that, that's what made it more fun. Like, I, I hate to go, keep going back to it. Like, Nick, every take we did, this man just said a different line. That was just as hilarious as the one that came out before. Where I was like, this is just amazing for our editor. He's he's gonna have a tough time just like choosing which scene he's he's gonna throw in here. But yeah, a lot of it, a lot of I mean, yeah, there was a script that went along with it, but just the whole like storyline from like our writer, uh, it, it, you know, we weren't the biggest fans of it, so we decided since we we're also like producing it, we could you know change some stuff up along as we went. So uh, it, it was definitely a lot of improv involved in that. Um, which is typical in, in some comedies, not all. But yeah, in, in this one, it was a good, I'd say at least 30% of the movie, you know, or so was at least improv. Uh, you get to come across a lot of people in the movie industry. We, we referenced already Ron, Jeremy, and Caden Cross, and Eric Roberts, and some of the other people I've seen in your Instagram feed. Kevin Nash out of the <laughs> WWE has moved into acting. Is there any one person in particular that you've you've really enjoyed getting time to spend with on a set or even offset that you learned a lot from just about the industry? I, I mean, Nick was really my favorite person, Nick Swartzen, but I'm trying to think of another one from a different film I've done. I got to throw in there, Dolph Lundgren is in some of the, the movie credits that for movies you produce, and, and Dolph Lundgren, for people who don't know him, you should be ashamed if you don't know Ivan Drago is Dolph Lundgren. He's also he He-Man. He dies. If he dies, he dies. Yeah, it's from Rocky IV. But he's He-Man. He's Ivan Drago. He's had quite memorable roles over the course of his career. And you got a chance to be involved with Dolph Lundgren. So I got to ask you, what was it like being around Dolph Lundgren? He's, you know, he's a great, he's a very laid back guy, kind of offset. You know, he's definitely intense on, but uh, pr- pretty laid back. Actually, it, it just came to me, who I would say, Christy Carlson Romano. She was, uh, if you remember, Kim Possible from back in the days, and uh, she was an Even Stevens. Uh, I did I did a movie with her called Christmas All Over Again, and that was just a trip because, I, I mean, I grew up watching Disney Channel. So, you know, just seeing her right there in front of me and doing a film, it was her directorial debut that she did that film. So that was just an an awesome film doing with her. Just seeing her definitely on set, complete professional, being able to clue into any character, going from behind the camera straight into a scene. But at the same time, like afterward, just ready to be like, all right, you guys want to go to the bar? Or like, you know, are we just going to go down the street and just hang out? It was just amazing seeing her like that she was one of the more fun ones eric roberts too i've done quite a, a few films with him uh involved in different production that he was in and um he he took us to his house uh he's, he's got an amazing wife eliza very she's one of the warmest people I've, I've ever met you know he's got a nice thunderbird in his garage he let me drive once an old school car so he, that was another one that i'd say was just it's just a great time with them one of the things i've observed being around athletes in whether it's cricket or in other sports before i got involved in cricket i spent a significant amount of time 
working in the Creighton athletic department and being around famous athletes and I worked at the College World Series. So I, I got to be around whether it was athletes or TV personalities. I, when I was an intern at the College World Series, I got to be around and, and work a little bit with Aaron Andrews when I was an intern out in Omaha for that. And she was still quite early in her ESPN career. This is in 2006. But Aaron Andrews and Mike Patrick, Rick Sutcliffe, and got to be around Cal Ripken Jr. and Dave Winfield. Oh, wow. And at Creighton, being around Kyle Korver right before he went off to the NBA. A very, very lengthy career, successful career as a three-point sharpshooter. And Creighton hosted the first and second round of the NCAA tournament in 2008. This is just before I left Creighton. I was working, again, for sports information. So I was working on press row, and you had... Pat Riley, like sitting right behind me, and Jason Whitlock is on the opposite side of the court. And that game, it was OJ Mayo versus, it was USC versus K State. Michael Beasley was, and OJ Mayo were going to be like top five picks that year. And so that was a matchup everybody in the country wanted to see. And it just happened to be an Omaha three versus six matchup. And, but UNLV was also out there. So we had Larry Johnson in the crowd and everybody wanted to take a picture with Larry Johnson. And, you know, as somebody who grew up watching the Knicks, you know, Larry Johnson is like, it's huge. You know, hearing you talk about these movie stars, the thing that I always learned over the years doing this, whether it's in cricket or outside of cricket, most of these people are, they're normal people. You get to be around them. When you treat them like normal people and when you talk to them like a normal person and when you, when you talk to them about non-sports related things, whatever their thing is, you know, they're so locked into it every day. A lot of times they they prefer almost to, to decompress by some, talking about something not sports related and just being a normal person. And I hear that coming through you talking about your movie experiences out in, in, in Hollywood that for as much as people see them on the silver screen and in cinnamon and whatnot, they're real people at the end of the day. They like to do normal things. And just hearing you talk about them uh, in that way, I, I, again, I find fascinating and I'm able to appreciate it from that standpoint. Well, I guess, was your impression about what your expectations were before you went out there in that regard? And then what did you kind of learn and observe and come across that made you feel a bit more at ease the more experiences you had interacting with some of these people? Well, actually, I think what initially, like my first celeb uh, meetings and stuff like that would be, I used to work at the Dream Downtown in New York City. So I was the lifeguard there. And uh, there you'd get a lot of like high profile clientele that would come in, a lot of actors, uh, different rappers, R&B artists, all, all kind of things would come out there. Um, yeah, I mean, everyone from Chris Brown to you know, Trey Songs, you, you name it, uh, would be there. So uh, initially just setting these guys up with stuff. You know, at first it was just like, oh my God, like this guy's here. And then next thing you know, I start talking to the guy, and it's literally a normal conversation. I'm hearing you say that. I'm thinking to myself, Ryan Prasad is looking at this guy. Wow, this guy's here. And the second thing that must be going through Ryan Prasad says, I better not let this guy drown. <laughs> exactly. You know, I was lucky it was a four-foot pool. Usually it would just be people that got, like, way too drunk, and they'd be like, oh, no. And I'd just be like, yo, dude, just stand up. Like, come on. <laughs> it's four feet. It, it was great talking to these people that, like, for example, um, that's where I had met Trey Songs, actually, first time. And just from, my, you know, I, I just set him up with, like, a, a little seat by the beach, him and his cabana, while he's waiting for, like, his crew to come over. 
we just started chatting and I was telling him, yeah, I play cricket. And he was like, oh man, I was just in Namibia. You know, there's some cricket going on there. I was watching it and I was like, oh, wow, that's awesome. Like you watch cricket. And then he was like, yeah, we got to get a picture later, man. And I was like, you want to get a picture with me? And I was like, dude, I would love to get a picture with you. And he, he started laughing when he's leaving. He would just like, hey man, we're going out to the club tonight. You should come through with us. And uh, it was, I was like, absolutely. So, you know, I'm not 21 yet. I'm 19. He's like, it's cool. You walk in with me. No one will ID you. And I was like, dude, this guy is the man. You know, after he invited me to, like, come to where they were filming, like, a music video, he, he was just doing a song with um, this guy, JR. It was called Best Friend, you know, back in the day. And, yeah, I, I went up and I was like, wow, this is literally a normal guy. And just like you said, it's normal conversations. People really look... They look at them like it's just like a Goliath in front of them that they wouldn't know how to really speak to these people. But once you treat anybody like a normal human being, you can be friends with anybody. It's, it's really about the only difference between those people and you is you just don't have access to them. You know, if, if you were able to meet any of those people, unless you're a friendly person, you're probably going to make friends with them. I really embodied that when I went into the film industry and treated it the same exact way. And that I think that helped with a lot of my success out there because again I didn't I didn't take any like acting classes like that so a lot of any films that I've done acting wise and stuff it was and mostly from these guys that I met I just asked them you know I was like hey any tips anything you got to say and it's a tremendous amount of experience all around the room everyone's got you know a little tip here and there for you to go and next thing you know I was like you know and I feel myself actually getting better at this kind of thing and I think just having that attitude, no matter who you meet, some people really, they get starstruck, certain people, and I'm not going to demean them. Hey, there's, we all have heroes. You meet somebody, you can be starstruck. But at the end of the day, just to remember it, people are people, you know, just treat a guy normally and friendly because that's how you'd want someone to treat you. They tend to react not as positively when you gawk at them like they're a zoo animal. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> One of my favorite experiences, well, I shouldn't say favorite, but one of my most memorable experiences, I worked at a sports broadcasting camp in New Jersey between high school and college, and it was run by Ian Eagle and Bruce Beck. For those people who don't know, Ian Eagle has been the play-by-play voice for the New Jersey Nets on TV for quite a long time. He does NFL on CBS. He does college basketball on CBS. Uh, he used to do New York Jets radio. He's from the New York area. He does a lot of the New York local sports teams generally, but he's also national broadcaster on CBS. And Bruce Beck has been the sports anchor at NBC New York for, I think it must be close to 30 years now. He's very, very well-known personality in New York. And they started this sports broadcasting camp. And I was there, I think, in the second and then the third year I worked as an intern. So I was one of the very, very earliest people who went to this camp. And it was done at Montclair State University. Little Falls, New Jersey. And one of the things they would do at the campus, they they would invite guests. So they would invite in their colleagues or peers from around the sports broadcasting industry to come in and share some insights with the kids who are all aspiring sports broadcasters. And Sam Rosen was a guest one time. Sam Rosen, again, for people who don't know, Sam Rosen, very, very legendary broadcaster as the play-by-play man for the New York Rangers and the NHL. And he's also worked for NFL on Fox as a play-by-play broadcaster for the NFL. Within New York, he's most well-known for being the play-by-play voice of the New York Rangers. Anyway, 
people in New York, especially kids who are aspiring to be sports broadcasters, if they're not awestruck by Iron Eagle or Bruce Beck, then they're definitely awestruck by Sam Rosen. Like, Sam Rosen is a big deal. Anyway, Sam Sam comes, talks to the campers, shares some insights about what it's like to be around the Rangers and Mark Messier and all sorts of other famous Rangers and Wayne Gretzky and whatnot and how you call a game and you know the the famous Sam Rosen goals. It's a power play goal. You know, it's a power play goal. They don't. Oh my God! I just heard Sam Rosen say it's a power play goal. So then he gets done with his like 15 or 20 minute speech and motivational stuff for the kids. And Sam Rosen is a normal human being. So guess what? Sam Rosen, after he was done, had to take a piss. So Sam Rosen <laughs> goes off to the toilet, was in there, and I'm washing my hands. And he's at the urinal doing his business. And one of the kids comes in. Oh, and one of the kids just goes up to Sam Rosen as he's taking a piss. And he's like, Mr. Rosen, I wanted to ask you this and this and that. And Mr. Rosen, I have so many questions for you. And he's like, Hey kid, can you give me a moment here? <laughs> it's like I'm in the middle of taking a piss, <laughs> and I'm just like I'm just like oh my god, like why? What is this kid doing? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Somebody needs to go to the toilet. Let him go to the toilet. Doesn't matter how famous they are. Like they'd like some privacy. <laughs> and this is why a lot of celebrities too they get very defensive about these things because like you know you get like. 10 experiences like that while someone's, you know, down your neck while you're trying to, like, take a piss, eventually you're going to be like, yeah, you know what? Just keep everyone back for a bit, please. Like, you know, you don't blame them after a while. You're like, geez, I don't want someone down my neck while I'm trying to use the urinal. Get out of here. The only thing that could have been worse would have been like, Sam, can you sign this for me? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, you go through this experience in Hollywood, but Despite having that ambition and going through that experience and as as enjoyable as it was, cricket was pulling you back. Oh, so fast forward to 2020, a couple years after the Hollywood experience, and the CPL draft is happening, and your name comes up. Tell us about that experience. What was your reaction? And after you were drafted, what was your preparation like leading into the CPL, especially in the context of COVID, when... It was still up in the air, I guess, if the season was even going to happen. So when it happened, yeah, I, I put my name into the draft, and uh, I, I thought it was amazing when I just heard my name called first, just like when they're naming people in the draft itself. And uh, next thing you know, like I, I actually got chosen for the team, and it was like, you know, huge. You know, this was like a dream of a lifetime, you know, come true here. So my my training was intense for it at the time. Uh, so when I when I moved back, um, I started working at Bloomberg uh, LP, and my job went fully remote. Before I was like in a data center, but with COVID, they brought everyone remote. So I was actually right here in the same apartment, in, in my other room there in the office, working. And it would just be every single day during break, I'd go for a run. I got a nice park around here. Go out for a run after work. Hit the gym go to tr- uh, cricket practice with my dad, do spot bowling, just do like throw down, stuff like that, and then come back sleep. And that was every single day since I, you know, got selection coming in. Again, it was it was a, a surprise for a lot of people too. I got my fair share of hate mail uh, all over. Oh man, 
an unbelievable amount. I was like, you guys have nothing better to do. Like my Facebook inboxes, Instagram DMs, just, it's like, now I don't even look at them, all this stuff. Cause it's just like, it's just a lot of negative energy, but at the same time, there's a lot of positive energy from people and stuff coming out there. Uh, so, you know, I, I had to reach out to Steve cause, uh, you know, he's my closest friend that had also been chosen for the CPL at one point. So, you know, just asking him about different, you know, preparation that I should be doing expectations going out there. And, you know, Steve, he, he warned me from there and he was just like, it's, it's going to be rough in your first season to get a game. He's like, just know it now. Play you like training hard. Don't be like too broken. If you go down there and they don't give you a game. And I was like, all right, you know, so that was definitely in my mind going into it. You know, it was like prepare, prepare for the worst, you know, for the best. But uh, the training that I went into it, I, I was at the caliber ready to play for sure. Of course, I wasn't going to be too heartbroken if things didn't go my way. At the end of the day, they got to pick the best 11. And from looking at the team, I was like, yeah, you know what? I think of myself as the best leg spinner here, but I'm going against Sandeep Lamachani. who's like the hottest thing out of Nepal at the time. Majib from Afghanistan. You got Virsami Pramal who's taking over 500 first-class wickets. Spinner, I'm like, all right, it's, it's a big spinning squat, you know, to compete against here. So it, it was understandable in that aspect. If, if you thought you got a lot of hate mail from people around the U.S. just for getting drafted, imagine the hate mail you would have gotten if they dropped Sandy Blamichane to put you into the 11. Exactly. <laughs> all, all these people from Nepal would have just cascaded <laughs> upon your inbox. How dare you? <laughs> I wouldn't understand half the messages. I'd be like, oh, my God, I bet this one's hate. I just I look for the emojis, you know, because I definitely got a bunch of stuff where I don't even understand. You know, I see like the heart emoji or like a cricket bat. I'm like, oh, this must be a good one. I'll, I'll translate it. <laughs> Again, you were drafted in the ICC America slot. And for people who are not aware, going back a couple of years, going back to 2015, 2016, CPL instituted a draft slot, which was designated for ICC America's eligible players, meaning that any associate player from the Americas that be, could be Canada, USA, Bermuda, other associate countries in the region, each CPL squad had to include or draft at least one associate eligible player in their 11. And it was meant to be a development opportunity. And it has led to some amazing, amazing experiences and professional career pathways for guys like Ali Khan, who used that platform to, to turn into a superstar who is now a permanent fixture on the T20 franchise circuit. Hayden Wallace Jr. at the time was a fringe player in the CPL and with the USA, he was he was a mainstay with, with the USA. He was a core member of the USA squad, but he his CPL opportunities were very, very limited to that stage. Utilized the ICC America slot, submitting his name as a USA eligible player to get drafted again with Barbados. And then what happens, he becomes the player of the tournament and parlays that into a call up to the West Indies. So it can be an opportunity to open the door for great success. On the flip side, the majority of the players have your experience where it's not as glamorous yeah, and you don't get the opportunities, right? And for some players, that can be very discouraging. And some players I know who have gone through that experience, they just decide to remove their names 
from the draft pool. They don't want to go through that again if they've gone through it for one season or two seasons and they say, you know what, I don't want to sit on the bench all year. It's, there's no point in me going. If they have another full-time job or they've got other family commitments and I'm not going to sit on the bench for six weeks just so I can hang out with Andre Russell and Chris Gale and whoever else. Other people, though, take that opportunity and they approach it in a different way mentally where they recognize going in in the sense that, like you just mentioned, you've got a team where you're with Sandy Blamichani, Muji Barriman, Virasama Pramal, and unless one of those guys get injured or multiple other players in that group get injured, there's a high probability you're not going to get a game. So putting aside the training and trying to improve your skills and sharpen your skills and just commit yourself, how did you prepare yourself mentally to get the best experience possible out of the CPL last year? Mental health wise, I, I try to keep myself out of like negative head spaces. So I, a lot of, I push a lot of those kind of thoughts, you know, out. I don't look at it. It's just like, okay, it's just this tournament. And, you know, I don't get a, to- a chance this tournament and I'm screwed for life. You know, for me, everything is a learning experience. When I go there and I see my name against all the spinners, yeah, on one hand, you know, I could look at it and just be like, yeah, you know, I'm not going to get to play because I'm against three of the best spinners in the world right now. On the other hand, I could be like, you know, there are three of the best spinners in the world, and I can learn so much from these guys being there. And that was one of the best things of 2020 being uh, my first CPL in that every single player that we're stuck in a bubble, as we are going to be this year, but being in a bubble, you're, I'm, I'm around every single player where they might be off with their spouse or partying or wherever during a different CPL. Here I'm stuck in a hotel with every single guy, you know, so I use that to really get to know them, to learn from them, whatever tips they had for me, and just use that to build myself better in in whatever way I can. The unfortunate part about it, like Bloomberg wasn't as understanding uh, about me going out there for it. You know, I bet if it was like the New York Yankees and they saw that, they'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, sure. But when you say cricket to these guys and I look at you with like three heads. So uh, they weren't as understanding. I actually had to leave the company for that. But this year, uh, I'm with a company, uh, Broadridge. Uh, way more understanding than Bloomberg. There are some cricket fans in there as well, so that helps. And, and they're fine with me going away for the tournament. Honestly, that was really the only little setback when it came to last year's CPL. Mentally, that was the only thing that did take a little toll. It was like, damn, man, I didn't really get to play any games and also had to like leave my job as like a sysadmin over there. You know, that, that took a little mental toll itself, but aside from that cricket wise, I really try to use it to the best of my ability to learn as much as I can take in all the training and the work ethic that I see from these guys. Andre Russell, there was a night, like he, he came into my room. We chatted for about maybe four hours which was uh, awesome. I don't know if I'd ever get that experience anywhere else. But just seeing uh, his work ethic, it really is inspiring. And I've seen a guy like that and having, you know, the, the pleasure to play alongside of him. It was amazing. But I, I've never seen somebody that trains like that guy trains, truly an athlete. And I try to, like, take all these guys' spirits, whether it's his mentality, whether it's, like, Sandeep showing me a few different tricks, bowling you know Majib showing me a few things uh even even Permal he showed me quite a few things he's one of my closest friends during the tournament but I really tried to use every tip that I got from them 
to better myself. And I'm hoping, you know, hoping to go this year. And hey, if it comes again that don't get a chance, it'd be unfortunate. But uh, you know, I'm hoping they bring me back a second year. Maybe there'll be a you know a better chance of me actually making the squad for a game or two and just got to show people what I can do. You know, give them a reason to keep me in the squad. Having the four-hour chat in the hotel room with, with Andre Russell, I remember doing ball with all commentary for Crick Info on a number of games throughout the CPL. And whenever they show you on uh, camera, you were always next to Andre Russell. Or do I put that the other way around? When Andre Russell was shown on camera, you were next to him. <laughs> it seems like you had quite a tight relationship within the squad. And I'm curious, you know, in spite of the fa- your role as a leg spinner, is there one person out of that group spinner or non-spinner that you would say you learned the most from and what was the number one lesson you took away from them whether from a mental standpoint mental approach or a technical skills approach that you feel you absorbed to try and give yourself the best chance to get into the starting level for the next cpl i I would say russell was a, a huge inspiration in general you know i've always looked up to him i went to uh it was uh, in the in the West Indies to watch him play in Barbados, like in 2006, I think it was. I met Fidel Edwards there too, and it was amazing. Just I, I showed him a picture of me at like 12 years old with my arm around him, and then we took the same exact photo. And he was like, "Boy, you make me feel old." But just just Russell in general, um, seeing his work ethic. I mean, also just I, I follow him obviously on Instagram and stuff like that. But uh, really, really seeing a guy like him and the work that he puts in, being at the caliber that he is, type of player, actually having made it in almost every big squad uh, that you can make it in and still putting in the amount of work that he does, it really, really is inspiring. I remember one time uh, he was training for like six days straight. And on the seventh day, it was going to be his rest day. And then I saw him just sweating. And he just looked and said, you know what? I, I thought about it and I said, what has rest ever done for me? What has a rest day ever done? Nothing. But hard work has done so much for my life. But I just ran out and ran a few miles. And you know, j- just that kind of mentality, always staying hungry, no matter what. And, and just seeing that in motion, not just like people say it all the time, you know, but actually seeing that and seeing what that hard work does is something that I've tried to embody in my game and really help train for this year's CPL. And I've been really training every day, trying to, you know, hopefully if I get the chance and my name is called to, again, show people what I can do, show them what the U.S. has got. You're not the first American to be at the Tawas, and you're not the first American to be in the CPL in general. Stephen Taylor is a part of the Tawas before you. There have been other players who've who've been part of the Tallas, whether it's Tim Roy Allen or Elmer Hutchinson. But still, there is a, maybe a little bit of a stigma in terms of what an American can do on the cricket field. Do you feel any sort of pressure or do you feel that you are looked at any differently because you are an American? And have you had to work at breaking down any sort of barriers to kind of destigmatize yourself in a sense in order to be treated on the same level playing field as all the other players? I guess I would say yes and no in some ways. Yes, in the sense that, I mean, it's it's definitely like a big uh, West Indian thing in general that 
bigger islands such as Jamaica, Trinidad, you know, Guyana even. There's more players featured on the West Indies, but like smaller islands, you know, say like St. Kitts and St. Lucia, Grenada, these countries, there's not as many people in the West Indies, uh, uh, like a squad. So I guess how they're viewed, I somehow look at, I, I look at the U.S. kind of parallel to that, that they're almost looked at as like a smaller cricket nation. And the work that you have to put in um, to impress coaches and other people to get onto the squads, sometimes it is has to be twice as hard to earn your spot there. But at the same time, I felt that in a lot of places in my life, just like I said, like even growing up from a standpoint of you know, being bullied for a while and growing up where you know I'm, I'm two years younger than everybody, I'm okay with being the odd one out at times. I've grown uh, used to it, but I've also grown to like feed from it. You know, I, I really use that to help motivate me. So having to like push myself a little further and, uh, you know, put in the extra work to get chosen. It's not new to me. I'm, I'm okay with doing it. One other question I have for you about the CPL is yeah. you were chosen to be part of the CPL's e-gaming series <laughs> that was done this past year. Tell us about that experience. So to, to be honest, first, I didn't even know that's what I was going for. We were just stuck in quarantine for 14 days, and uh, a coach messaged in the chat. He was just like, hey, does anyone play, have you played video games? And I was like, yeah, back in the day, I played, like, Call of Duty. Like, and he was just like, yeah, there's, like, a, a cricket game. You know, the winner will get, like, a 1000 bucks." And I was like, no, I'm in. Like, I, give me a reason to get out of this room for the last 14 days? Sure, I'm in. So I, I went in wearing, like, sweats. I had, like, my daddy cap on. The next thing I know, I walk into the room and there's like five cameras, you know, faced around me. And I was like, oh, wait, this is, uh, we're not just doing this, you know, fun. They're like, oh, no, this is like EA Sports. We're, you know, we're putting together this. You're going to be against Isodi. I was like, ah, oh, I would have at least like looked up the game if I knew that it was like. So I'd never played Cricket 19 before. It was, it was my first time, but it was a ton of fun. Ton of fun. Uh, Alex Jordan, she was the one commentating it she made it super light and fun for everyone and ish oh my god what a stand-up guy honestly he was uh he was a new dad from the last cpl uh, he had just had a, a child so you know he made a lot of fun with me having the daddy cap on and you know me and him just got along real well so that that was that was a ton of fun amazing experience i'm happy i did it if there's one thing in particular that you're hoping to achieve at this CPL, one goal in particular that you want to make happen, what would it be? If and when, I'm going to say if and when I get a chance to play, let's take a little five-wicket hole or even, you know, even even just bowl my overs and go for 20 runs less, you know? Just, just really show them what I can do uh, as a bowler. And uh, hey, if, if the batting comes down to me, I want to show people why, I'm a leg spinning all rounder, not <laughs> just a leg spinner. Uh, yeah, that my my goal would be definitely to get on the field, and yeah, sh show the world what I can do. All right, we're gonna get to the favorite eleven segment next, but before we do that, the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast is presented by Dream Cricket. Dream Cricket Pavilion Shop can help you fill up all your cricket kit requirements from top of the line English willow bats made by all the top manufacturers. 
as well as helmets, gloves, pads, jerseys, highlight DVDs, books, and more. Get 10% off all orders over $400 using coupon code DCUSA. That's DCUSA. Go to shop.dreamcricket.com to take advantage of that offer today. Dream Cricket Academy is located at 400 Apgar Drive in Somerset, New Jersey, just a mile off of Exit 12 on Interstate 287. For more information, call 908-938-3787 or email cricket at dreamcricket.com. Favorite 11 time, Ryan Prasad. You ready to rock and roll? Let's do it. Your favorite roommate on any cricket tour? Uh, Pranay Suri. Pranay Suri. Pranay Suri. We had uh, in India, we had an awesome time together. Yeah, he's, he's a ton of fun. Another former USA Under-19 representative. Played for USA Under-19 in 2011, so he was two years before your batch in Canada, yep. but he went to Ireland, another junior Cricket representative for USA, Brene Surrey, out of Northern California. Your favorite actor or actress to be around away from a movie set? So they're all going to be upset if I don't say their name. That's the thing. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't ask you which one do you hate the most and which one do you want to get away from. I, want, I asked you which one do you like being around the most. Come on, Ryan. In this favorite 11 segment, I used to ask... After your favorite roommate on Cricket Tour, I asked, who is your least favorite roommate, the, the roommate who snores the most or who talks the most and doesn't let you sleep? And nobody ever wanted to answer that question. They used, used to cop out with, oh, I'm the roommate nobody wants to room with, and I talk the most, and I snore, so I'm, I'm the least likable roommate. Nobody ever wanted to answer the question, so I've junked that question because it's useless. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. So favorite, I'm going to say David Chokichi, offset. David, he's... I can't tell you. I've, I've gotten lunch with him quite a few times. Awesome guy. Which celebrity internet profile do you enjoy bragging more to your family and friends about? Your bio page on ESPN Crick Info or your bio page on IMDb? <laughs> uh, I'm going to say ESPN. I love having an ESPN. I'm trying to glitter that more with some stats this year. The Crick Info one is a lot more rare than the IMDb one. There's only a select few individuals around the world who can get a page on Crick Info. Exactly. Anybody can make an IMDb. The nicest or the best cricket ground experience you've had as a player or as a fan? I might say Motera Stadium in India. Motera. I, I made some runs there, so... It, it was it was a great wicket to play on, and I was I was young as the first time I had chai tea. It was in India, so I was like, this is an amazing experience. Your favorite place to eat out on tour? Herbal Mondas, I try to eat as clean as possible, but if I'm gonna cheat, probably do Chick Fil A. Chick Fil A, baby. Chick Fil A. <laughs> eat more chicken. Number two, spicy deluxe. <laughs> I'm a number four. I'm a chicken strips guy. Number four, the chicken strips. I get I get yeah. the four piece chicken strips, and I upsize. I get the large waffle fries. I got I can't do it with me. I need more waffle fries. Did, kind of you, now, I'm a pain in the ass, so I don't have sauce. I just have everything plain. I, I like it at its most natural flavor, Ryan. Did you see uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo after after winning the NBA title going I to Chick Fil A? The 50 piece. I was like, yes, Chick Fil A, baby. I'm not alone. <laughs> Now I feel like I can relate to Giannis. We can both relate to Giannis. He's just like us. He's a normal person, Ryan. Normal guy going to Chick-fil-A after a game. That's it. Your favorite pizza topping? Pepperoni. 
all day. Are you a Coke or a Pepsi guy? Coke. Can't be thrilling, thing, baby. Your favorite cricketer of all time? Probably Shivnarine Chandrapal, but it would be really tied with Sanogavaskar. But I might go with Shiv. You got to be true to your roots. Shiv is calling your name. Shiv is a man. Yeah, I got to go with Shiv. Now, have you ever met him? Because for people who don't know, he, he plays and lives locally in, in Florida. And he's come up to Philadelphia. He's played at the Philadelphia Cricket Festival. He makes his way around the U.S. And he's he's a lovely guy. Have you gotten a chance to meet him? I have, yeah. I played against him on a couple occasions. So one of my, uh, I, I actually, I should definitely say his name. Um, in the in the three people that I said, like my dad and two uncles, it's one more man, uh, Mushtaq Khan. He's a huge influence on my cricketing career. But uh, he, he used to be a, very involved in like the Guyana Cricket Board and stuff. He was like a, a very close friend of Shiv's too. He used to like bring him to matches, uh, you know, back when Shiv was like really just growing up playing it, he used to like, you know, drive him there. And so actually when I went to see them in 2006 uh, in Barbados, one of the coolest things I saw Shiv getting interviewed and I, I walked up, we were at the gate. And as soon as he saw Mushtaq, he stopped the interview, went over, paid his respects to him, and then went back to it. And I was like, wow, like you, you, you really like this guy really holds you in high respect. And Mushtaq Khan is easily one of the smartest men I've ever met in my life. And yeah, huge, huge uh, cricketing influence, I think, for Shiv uh, as well. So that's one thing I think we, we have in common. Your favorite non-cricket athlete? I'm going to have to go with Kobe. Kobe Bryant. Your favorite movie of all time? Doesn't have to be one of the ones you've been affiliated with, Ryan. Your favorite movie (laughs) of all time? A a movie that inspired you, maybe, to get involved in the film industry? Casablanca. Digging deep into the archives. That's right. Classic, classic Casablanca. Your favorite show to binge watch on Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, any streaming platform, Dujour or DVD box said, what is your go-to? If you're stuck in the quarantine bubble at the CPL, what are you using to pass the time for all those free hours that you've got on your hands? Something I can throw on at any point in time would probably be Criminal Minds. You'd always toss on an episode of that. There you have it, Ryan Prasad's favorite 11. Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure to get a bit more insight into all things cricket and non-cricket. I'll give you the final word. What should people know about Ryan Prasad that they they haven't heard? <laughs> Along with all this, I'm also a technical writer. I took my schooling, but I take like my jobs and all just as serious uh, as I take my cricket and as I take film. And again, anything you do in life, uh, do it to the best of your ability and, and never, never settle for mediocrity. I, I live my life by those words and do everything to the fullest extent. I doubt there's another person on the planet that can count Andre Russell and Ron Jeremy as his work colleagues. But Ryan Prasad is that man, and he made for a very, very fascinating guest on this week's show. So thank you very much, 
Ryan Prasad for coming on the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast. I want to remind everybody to sign up on Patreon if you haven't already. There's plenty of ways you can sponsor the show and become a patron of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast. And everybody who has so far helps to keep the show going. So by all means, if you haven't already, go to Patreon and sign up. Then I'd also remind everybody to subscribe, share, like the show on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor FM, and anywhere else where podcasts are streamed, downloaded, accessed, consumed. We appreciate all the support that everyone offers to the show. Until next week, I'm Peter Dalapena reminding everybody, God bless America and God bless American cricket. Cricket.